this morning comes from Galatians 2, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and to separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For if through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Good word. Uh, this morning I'm going to share with you on the thought that uh, person is a believer in Christ, regardless of how they look, how they sound, you know, they're your brother. That person is your sister. That person is your brother in Christ. And in this time that we are facing with the challenges, uh, social unrest caused by various things, I mean, we are challenged as a church to reach out not only to the unsaved, but to reach out to brothers and sisters in Christ we very well look and talk different from us. To introduce uh, the topic this morning, I'm going to touch on uh, something that is going to be uh, celebrated uh, in a few days. You know, it's 4th of July coming up, uh, Independence Day. So the United States Declaration of Independence is the pronouncement adopted by the Second Continental Congress meeting at the Pennsylvania State House. Now it's known as the Independence Hall in Philadelphia. And that was uh, July 4th, 1776. The Declaration explained why the 13 colonies at war with the Kingdom of Great Britain regarded themselves as 13 independent sovereign states no longer under British rule. 
With the declaration, these states took a collective first step towards forming what we now know as the United States of America. The declaration was signed by representatives from New Hampshire, Massachusetts Bay, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. In Congress, July 4, 1776, these words were declared. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is the foundation upon which the United States of America was built. So my goal here, and be absolutely clear, my goal here is not to criticize the United States or to cast aspersions on our history. That history is well documented in myriads of places. But I'd like to draw attention to the oxymoronic characteristic of that declaration. Mind you, this declaration it's not evil. It's not bad. A matter of fact, some would say that it's good. I would say it's more than good. It's probably accurate to describe it as one of the most beautifully written and accurate declaration of the human existence. So what's the problem? The issue here lies in the fact that the very men who wrote these words were in fact denying others the reality of experiencing these self-evident truth. If all men are created equal, how could slavery be acceptable? If liberty, that is freedom, is an unalienable right endowed by the Creator Himself, how could one man deny another of that God-given freedom? You see, the heart of the issue is that this God-given right of freedom was applied whenever it was convenient to do so. <laughs> the heart of the issue was that Africans were not viewed as equals. The heart of the issue was that Africans were not viewed as men, not even as human beings. The heart of the issue was that these men who wrote the declaration were, were blinded by greed, by pride, by their fierce determination to rid themselves of the shackles of the British rule, which was despised and hated to the core. The heart of the issue was that these men could not see their own sin. Their hardened hearts were not allow, would not allow them to see that the very freedom that they declared was their God-given intrinsic right was the very freedom which they ripped from the African slaves. See, the heart of the issue was an issue of the heart. We all agree that slavery was wrong, and thank God it's abolished. 
But the issue of the heart is still an ongoing challenge for us today. See, there are many Peters in our churches today. For the highly respected Apostle Peter, it was an issue of the heart that caused him to act the way he did. Verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, however, Paul said, I opposed him to the face because he stood to be condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself for fear of those in the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. When certain men came representing the Apostle James, Peter withdrew from eating with the Gentile believers. Paul states that the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. You see, you know, Paul, Paul didn't put, as they say, he didn't put water in his mouth. He simply told it as it is. He said, Peter, this is hypocrisy. And if we look at hypocrisy, hypocrisy is a problem of the heart. It is seeped in duplicity, insincerity, and pretense. So before, when he sat, when, when, when Peter sat and had food with the Gentiles, and had fellowship with the Gentiles, was his fellowship sincere? <laughs> was it true? Or was he only pretending? Was he faking it? If they sang songs of Christian unity, we are one in the bond of love, did he really believe what he was singing? You see, that's a heart issue. The Lord used the Apostle Paul to speak to Peter about his hypocrisy, about his heart issue. But it wasn't the first time that God had spoken to Peter about his prejudice. Let's hear the account, the other account from the book of Acts. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Mm. That was definitely not the thing to do, Peter. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. He said, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something with a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea 
uh, stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These other six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is also called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak to them, the Holy Spirit came to them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections, and the council members praised God, saying, So then even the Gentiles, God had granted repentance that leads to life. Peter was challenged by God to look beyond his cultural and racial prejudices and understand that Jesus died for all. He died for Jews, he died for Gentiles. Recently, I was at the Home Depot. It was actually earlier this week. And as I was leaving, I heard uh, a customer say the name of Jesus to the cashier as he picked up his goods and left. I was leaving at the same time and I looked and this man had on a t-shirt that read, I am a whosoever. I chuckled because I've, I've, never saw, I've never seen that uh, t-shirt before. I am a whosoever. So I, I looked at him and I said, uh, good day, Mr. Whosoever. And he replied, he said, wait a minute, are you a whosoever also? I said, yes, I am. <laughs> I am a whosoever. We parted wishing each other's God's blessings. Of course, the t-shirt was referring to the most well-known scripture verse in the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the word that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Question is, are you a whosoever? But here's a heart-searching question. Is there a person that you have a problem with? I mean, to the extent that you find it difficult to pray for that person. If that person is not a believer, would you just prefer to, for things to just stay that way? I mean, the prophet Jonah tried to run away from God because he did not want to give the message of redemption to the people of Nineveh. Hey! Even after he finally obeyed God. And we know the story of Jonah. You know, with the Jonah being swallowed by the fish and then... I mean, we know the story of Jonah. But even after he finally obeyed God and went to the city of Nineveh and preached, he was mad. He was raving mad. Why? Because the people of Nineveh repented. Wow. You see, he was mad... Because his heart wasn't right. And my question to you this morning is, 
Is there a Nineveh in your life? Is there someone whom you would rather see just not come to the Lord? I mean, you would have so much of an issue with that person that you would rather see them you know, not come to the Lord because it would mean that you would have to be dealing with them in church. Sounds outrageous, right? But it does happen. And it is sinful. So if you have that Nineveh in your life and, 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 and that Nineveh comes to the Lord and, 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 and you die and you go to heaven and see that person there, would you want to turn around and leave heaven? <laughs> Just saying. Ridiculous, right? But I challenge you to see if there is a Nineveh in your life. Understand that we don't get to pick and choose who comes into the kingdom of God. God does, not us. <laughs> There's an anecdotal story told about two men who lived in a large city. One was a lifelong pastor of a large church. The other was a drunken taxi driver. So both men died. And they come to the gates of heaven and St. Peter was there. And the taxi driver, the old drunken taxi driver, name was Tubbs, known as Tubbs. Tubbs was in front of the pastor and, you know, Peter said, Oh, Brother Tubbs, well done. Come into the kingdom. And so Tubbs got into heaven. Pastor Roberts came and he said, oh, uh, I'm sorry, Reverend Roberts. I don't see your name on the list. How could that be? Said Pastor Roberts. Do you know who I am? I am a lifelong pastor of the first church. I've preached for over 35 years. So how did that old drunk get into heaven? Everyone knows him. Everyone in the city knows him. I think they call him Tubbs. Oh, that's Brother Tubbs. How did he get into heaven? Uh, Peter said, well, Pastor, he, he brought us many, many people into the kingdom. How is that possible? I was preaching for 35 years. He was a drunken taxi driver. And, and Peter said, well, Pastor, when you preached, people slept. When this drunken taxi driver drove his cab, people prayed. Those in the cab and those on the streets. He brought many people into the kingdom. <laughs> but really, we don't decide who gets into the kingdom. Because the issue... The heart of the issue is really an issue of the heart. And secondly, we have to remember that prejudice is contagious. Verse 13 tells us the other Jews joined Peter in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So it wasn't just Peter. Other Jews pulled away from the tables where the Gentiles were eating. 
They probably got strength and courage. I mean, probably if Peter wasn't there, they probably wouldn't have done that. But here was their leader pulling away. So they got strength and courage from Peter's sinful action. Have you ever gotten courage to do something? I mean, even if it's something wrong. But you, have you ever gotten courage to do something because you saw someone else doing it? Come on, we, we, we all have. You see someone doing something and it just, and it just gives you strength. It just gives you power. It gives you strength to also do that thing. Now, it was not the right thing to do, you know, shunning the Gentile Christ Christians. Because some influential leaders came to town. But they did it. They did it anyway, even though it wasn't the right thing to do. They got strength from Peter's sinful action. Prejudice, folks, is contagious. Somehow they must have rationalized and reasoned away their actions. These Gentiles uh, believed in Jesus, but they're still unclean according to the laws of Moses. Or maybe they thought these Gentile believers believe in Jesus, but they're not true sons of Abraham like we are. They're grafted. Have you ever done something that deep down you know is wrong? But you rationalize and somehow find some strange reason why it's okay? Here's the thing. You're affecting not just yourself, but others around you. Especially if you're looked upon as a leader, like Peter was. Verse 13 says that even Barnabas was influenced and led astray. That's amazing. And it's also sad. It's very sad. Why? Because Barnabas was a budding young leader in the early church. Here's what the Bible tells us about Barnabas. Acts chapter 4 tells us that Barnabas was a, he was a Levite actually. He's a Jewish guy. He was a leader in the, in, in the synagogue. He was a Levite and a native from the island of Cyprus. He put the kingdom first and he put his money where his faith was. What do I mean by that? His first recorded action is that he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Acts chapter 4 verse 37. He also was acknowledged by Paul for supporting himself financially for his ministry. He financially, you know, backed his own ministry rather than asking the church to do it. So he put, his, he put his funds where his faith was. He was also a, a partner to the Apostle Paul in many missionary journeys. And even before that, after Paul's dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus, Barnabas courageously vouched for him. When the church in Jerusalem was suspicious about Paul, that a former persecutor of the church would join their ranks, Barnabas was the one who said, no, let's, let's welcome this man. Let's, let's believe that God has changed his life. Barnabas was a Christian leader and preacher. In Acts chapter 15, it tells us that. On one occasion, he was sent by the Jerusalem church, by the head church, out to the place of Antioch. 
And this Barnabas, this young leader, was led astray by Peter's action. This is the same budding leader, along with other Jewish believers who were led astray. How sad. You see, when you openly display your prejudice, others are watching. When you openly display your prejudice, young people are watching. When you openly display your prejudice, children are watching. When you openly display your prejudice, non-Christians are watching. Isn't it time that we accept and understand the fact that prejudice is a learned behavior and attitude? So the question is, what are you modeling to others? The fact that other people are doing it doesn't make an action right or wrong. It might give you courage to do that act. It might even give you a false sense of self-righteousness. But understand that the judgment of God's word is the only thing that decides right from wrong, righteousness from sin. Yes, prejudice is contagious. It's very contagious. And the only vaccine is a pure heart infused by the agape love of God, which comes through repentance and confession of sin, according to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. Third thing I'd like to share with you is that love should be free and fear, and free from fear. Love should be free and fair and free from fear. When you love someone, there is no fear. When love is perfected in your heart, there is no fear. When love is the driving force of your actions, there is no fear. True love is free and fair and free from fear. Paul tells us that when Jewish believers came around, Peter withdrew from sitting with the Gentiles. That's in verse 12. For fear of those in the circumcision group, for fear of the Jewish people, he pulled aside, pulled away from the Gentile tables. At that moment, Peter did not demonstrate agape love. Instead, he succumbed to the desire of being approved by men rather than follow after the approval of God. I mean, what could these men do to him? Why was Peter fearful of them and of their opinion of him? True, they were influential men because they represented the Apostle James as the brother of Christ. He was a leader in the church council at, at, at Jerusalem. Would they accuse Peter of eating with uncircumcised men? They had already done that. Thereby defiling himself according to the Jewish laws. Had Peter so easily forgotten his vision from God, a direct message from God saying, Peter, rise and eat. Do not call unclean what God has cleansed. Did he not give an account to the church council about the Gentiles and the conversion of the Gentiles? Did he forget that? Did the council not cease their objection 
and declared that God had truly also given to the Gentiles the offer of salvation through repentance, what was he really afraid of? Only, only Peter alone knows. He may have feared rejection by the Jews. What if they stopped speaking to me? What if they shut me out of their inner group? What if they think that I am choosing those Gentiles over them? What if they think I'm no longer a good Jew? What if they go back and tell the council? What if? What if? What if? The storm of fear is always overcast with a deluge of dark what-if clouds. Have you ever been paralyzed by what-ifs? Have you ever avoided association with a person or group of people because of what others might think? And I'm even talking about Christian brothers and sisters. Have you ever avoided association with a Christian brother or a Christian sister because of how they look, because of how they speak, because of how they, you know, because of their culture, because they're different from you? Because of what others might think? Because of fear of rejection by certain people? Or because you might lose the favor of friends? True love cannot be controlled by fear. True love cannot be shackled by fear. True love cannot allow its expression, expressions to be dictated by fear. John tells us that. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18 reads, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is a liberating power that one can experience if you allow yourself to be led by pure love. So years ago when I came to the Lord as a young 18-year-old young man, I started attending the Richmond Park Church of the Nazarene in Kingston, Jamaica. A little bit later, I was in college attending the College of Art, Science, and Technology. Now it's known as the University of Technology. At our church, at the Richmond Park Church, there was a, a man by the name of uh, Brother Comrie. We had very little in common. I was in college. Cymru probably had a grade six education. I had a roof over my head and a comfortable bed to sleep on. Cymru lived in a shack with plywood and sheets of zinc as protection from the elements. I was on my way to becoming a qualified professional in the business world. Cymru lived below the poverty line. He sold juice, popsicles, and sugarcane from a wooden cart with makeshift wheels for a living. I think the only thing that we had in common is that both of us knew Jesus. One day, Cymru was pushing his wooden cart, shouting, Juice! Juicy sugarcane to attract customers. 
I was at church. Must have been a Wednesday, because I, you know, I was at church, I was nicely dressed. He was passing by the church, pushing his cart, finishing a hard day's work of sales in the hot Kingston sun, and he looked the part. He was soaked in sweat, smelled a little bit too, tattered shirt, old beat up shoes. He looked somewhat unkept. I hailed him out. Comrade! He stopped. I bought a popsicle from him, asked him how sale was going. He asked about my mom. Then we kind of sat down on a wall nearby and talked about church and talked about Jesus. As people on their way from way home from work passed by. We talked for about half an hour. Then he had to push on and make his way home. Maybe I was too young or too naive to notice the surprise expression or disapproving gazes of those passing by. Maybe I wasn't yet schooled in the world's practices of social stratifications. Maybe the people passing by were thinking, what is this nicely dressed young man doing sitting with this shabbily dressed pushcart guy? Maybe I really didn't care what they thought. You know, he, he was truly Brother Comrade because he knew Christ. And I was having fellowship with him. That was the first of many conversations with Cymru. I personally, I enjoyed the talks. Cymru, he appreciated our talks. You see, it was only years later, you know, I, I, I'm looking back, just kind of thinking about, you know, growing up, you know, after I gave my heart to the Lord and things that took place, and I remember interacting with Cymru, and it was only then that I realized that from that day onward, Cymru actually never charged me for a popsicle, a bottle of juice, or a stick of sugar cane. <laughs> I guess you could say he really appreciated our conversations. If a person is a brother or sister in Christ, then he or she is a part of the body of Christ. To disassociate yourself from them means you are turning your back on the body of Christ. You're turning your back on Christ himself. Peter allowed his actions to be driven by fear instead of being led by love. You know, Peter didn't think this thing all the way through. So these Gentiles are Christians, right? Yep. Right, Peter? Yep. That means they're going to heaven, right? Yes. Hmm. So 
What did Peter think if he took his thought, you know, his actions and took it all the way through? Did Peter think that in heaven there would be tables set for Jewish believers only? And, uh, and somewhere else, somewhere maybe in the back room of heaven, there were tables set for the Gentiles? You know, that opens up a serious discussion for many Christians here in the United States. <laughs> That's for another day. So what's your idea of heaven? That question is really asking, if I'm asking you what's your idea of heaven, I'm literally asking, what's your idea of the church? Amen. Because to go to heaven, you have to be part of the body of Christ. So if, I, if I'm asking, what's your idea of heaven? I'm asking you, what's your idea of the body of Christ? What's your idea of the church? Is the church only made up of folks who look like you? Are you like the man who prayed, Lord, bless me and my wife, my son John and his wife, us four and no more? <laughs> Roman 10, Romans 10 tells us, for there is no difference, for there is no difference between Jew and Greek. The same Lord of, is Lord of all and gives richly to all who call on him. For everyone, whosoever, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you a whosoever? You don't want it clearer than the words found in Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made two one and has torn down, broken down, smashed down. The dividing wall of hostility. Here is what the Apostle John saw. And this is in Revelation chapter 7. The Apostle John. He said, after this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude. That no one could count. From every nation. I'm talking from the United States. From China. From the little country of Jamaica. From Trinidad. From Barbados. From Honduras, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Again, a reminder that we don't dictate who makes it into heaven. God does. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I'll close by making reference to a man well known in history. He has made his footprints in history. Man from India, Mahatma Gandhi. 
Gandhi had gone to South Africa to study law in college. His interest in Christianity grew while he was there in college. During that time, the college was visited by a very famous missionary called uh, Reverend E. Stanley Jones. And Jones met with Gandhi and he asked him, he said, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear to so adamantly reject becoming his follower? Gandhi replied, oh, I, I, I don't reject Christ. I, I, I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ. Ouch. He said, it's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ. If Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today, he added. Actually, in his biography, Gandhi said that he was attracted to Christianity until he discovered that Christians also had a caste system. Wow. He was attracted to Christianity until he discovered that Christians also had a caste system. Next time, next time, next time you come across a believer who doesn't look like you, next time, next time you come across a believer who doesn't talk like you, next time, next time you come across a believer who doesn't even smell like you, Next time, next time you come across a believer who doesn't sing or clap like you, remember that he or she is your brother and he or she is your sister in Christ. Period. That's it. Because your love should be free and fair and free from fear. Let's pray.